Thank you so much for joining us today. And look, I'm grateful for those of you who are tuning in by way of uh, the internet and our website. Uh, that's awesome. And I'm also grateful for those of you who are tuning in by way of Facebook. And if you're engaging us through Facebook, I want to encourage you to, to get involved in the chat. We've got a team there, and, you know, you can treat that just like you've showed up in church on a Sunday morning. Uh, you know, if I, if I say something you want to say amen to, type amen. If you want to praise the Lord, type praise the Lord. If you've got a question that you want to ask, ask your question. We've got a great team there that's going to really engage with you and, 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 and minister to you. So just, just, well, I want to encourage you just engage and respond. Now, uh, I shouldn't have to convince you today that we're living through a very uh, difficult and unprecedented time in the world. And I shouldn't have to convince you today because we're all dealing with the extended effects of a pandemic uh, massive job losses, uh, schools opening and closing back, uh, causing all kinds of pressure on families. I mean, we, 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 all kinds of challenges, right? Uh, our our depression depression is increasing. Our our waistlines are expanding. I mean, the, the, this is a challenging time to be alive. And yet, I want to say to you what I think is obvious. This is also a defining moment in the world, a defining moment for God's people, and it is a defining moment for you. Here's what I mean by defining moments. As we, as we work through all of the cultural polarization around race and other things, you know, as we, as we, as we work through the toxic political context that we're, that we're trying to live through and, and all of that other stuff, right? Uh, the fact of the matter is that the decisions that will be made today in this slice of history will have long-term ramifications for our future and for next generations. And I'm not just talking about the decisions that other people make. I'm talking about the decisions that you're going to have to make in this moment, the decisions that I'm going to have to make in this moment. And so if we must be alive in this moment, and I want you to know that you, you and I, we could have been born in a different era. But God has orchestrated life so that we were born, so that we would be alive in this slice of history. And God wants you to hear me say to you right now, this is your defining moment. So I want to take the next couple of weeks and really just kind of help us catch our breath so that we can move forward. And Esther is going to be our teacher in this journey over the course of the next couple of weeks. And these two weeks are working together to lay the foundation for a brand new series that I can't wait to, to jump into and to teach. And it's simply entitled, we're going to kick it off on August the 9th, uh, Hope in an Upside Down World. So make sure you stay with us over the next couple of weeks and get ready uh, because uh, we all need to know where the hope is in an upside down world. So. Uh, let's go to Esther chapter 4, and uh, I'm going to read verses 12 through 4 through the NIV. It's kind of going to frame our reflection for the next couple of weeks. When, Esther, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, 
relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This moment. This slice of history. There is the reading. Lord, would you move transformationally through this teaching today? For those who are listening and for myself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, the question that we have to face is how does one catch his or her breath in a moment like this? So that you can respond to this defining moment, this defining season in a way that allows you to be God's instrument. Someone said to me uh, recently that, you know, so many people are living on pins and needles. They don't really know what's going to happen next. And here's, here's what I want you to get from this message over the next couple of weeks. That, that if you offer yourself as an instrument to, for, to God and an instrument of God. It doesn't matter what happens next. That you will be God's instrument in the moment. In the moment. But we need to be able to catch a breath in order to get set to move forward. So Esther uh, here is really the great teacher. And the first thing that I pull from this verse that I read for you is that so, that, that there are two keys to figuring out how to catch our breath and respond appropriately in defining moments. The first key is really captured by the word, check this out, purpose. Can you say purpose? If you're in the Facebook chat, type purpose, purpose. Here's the question. What is God's purpose for your life in this moment? Now, so often we get tripped up because we ask a different question. We ask God, what is your purpose for my entire life? And sometimes we actually get that answer and we move forward with, with pursuing that purpose for our entire life. But many of us, uh, the only thing we get back when we ask that question is silence. And what God wants you to hear today is that the more accurate question for you to ask is not so much what is your purpose for my entire life, God, but what is your purpose for me in this defining moment, what's your purpose for me? What is your divine purpose? And we find this wrapped up really here in what Mordecai is actually saying to Esther. Let me give you a quick context. And we'll work uh, through this over the next couple of weekends. Uh, Esther has become queen of the Persian Empire, but she's Jewish. Mordecai is her cousin who raised her. And the Jews are now in a situation where uh, they are about to be wiped out. And Esther is the only one who can go and plead for mercy on their behalf to the king. But Esther knows that if she approaches the king without his invitation, it's seen as a sign of horrible disrespect. And the penalty for that is death. And she has just shared that with Mordecai and says, look, it's been 30 days. The king hasn't called me. And Mordecai says, well, listen, you've got a choice here. It is a defining moment. You can, you can choose to take the safe way out. And if you do, you're going to miss out on God's destiny for your life in this moment. You're going to end up missing out. Or you can choose to risk it all 
Who knows that? I like the King James Version. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time, for such a moment, for such a season as this. Esther, this is God's purpose for your life in this season. As I make this point, I think about uh, a... uh, a WNBA basketball star, Pastor Tilden, talked about her a few weeks ago, and I got so intrigued, uh, as he mentioned in his message, I went to look her up, Maya Moore. I hadn't heard of her. She was a, she's a fabulous uh, WNBA four-time basketball champion. But about a year, a year and a half ago, she sensed God calling her to step away in the prime of her career from her basketball pursuits and to work on trying to secure the freedom of a fellow by the name of Mr. Jonathan Irons. Mr. Jonathan Irons was sentenced to 50 years in prison for a, a crime that had that, that should have been like five years or less. 50 years. Nothing lethal about what he did. And so she felt God prodding her to step out of her prime time action. Step away. Trust him. And if you had asked her, what is God's purpose for your entire life? Uh, uh, Maya would have said, I don't know what God's purpose is for my entire life. I just know that he's asking me to trust him in this defining moment. And that's what she did. And she worked and she helped to bring freedom to Mr. Earn, who just uh, a few weeks ago was set free after being in prison 30 years, sentence being overturned. Isn't that amazing? You, you, some of you are trying to figure out what's the theme of, my, of the book for my life. And God has said, don't worry about the book. Just be faithful in this chapter. Work with me to work out the narrative for this chapter. Now, let me just say a word. I, I'm talking about discovering God's purpose in this slice of time. Why? Because embedded in purpose... It's fresh breath. It's, it's, it's new life. Look, for that teacher who, who, who is afraid that in a few weeks she's going to be forced or he's going to be forced back into the classroom with COVID-19 raging, knowing God's purpose for your life can make all the difference as you re-engage. For that parent who feels that they're going to be stuck at home Uh, 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 homeschooling their kids for another few months. Knowing God's purpose, how God's purpose wants to pour through you in that moment, that isolated moment that you're working with your kids, which, 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 which God could turn into the most transformational moments in those kids' lives. Knowing God's purpose makes all the difference. For that, for that elderly man who who, who is, uh, have been sheltered in place for so long that when you wake up in the morning, it's hard for you to find a reason to get out of bed. The clouds of depression is holding you down. Discovering God's purpose for your life in this slice of history can make all the difference. It, it, will, it will breathe fresh life into you. It, it, it brings courage where it's needed and inspiration and hope and a reason to move forward. It's all in telling, knowing God's purpose. So, Knowing God's purpose in the slice is one of the keys that we learn 
that Mordecai is challenging Esther with in this text. But the second key has to do with the word decisions. Can you say decisions? Can you guys in the chat room, can you, can you shout out decisions? Decisions. Listen, defining moments are all about decisions. Decisions. Are you going to say yes in this defining moment or no? Are you going to actually quit or are you going to keep going? Decisions. Are you going to go for that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? Or are you going to sit back and let it pass you by? Defining moments are shaped by the decisions. Now, now here is the insight. Check this out. If you really want to know what is God's purpose for me in any given defining moment, the answer is this. Most often than not, God's purpose for you in defining moments That purpose is revealed, watch this, through the decisions that you have to face. You see, for for Maya, God's purpose for her in that defining moment was framed by the decision, do do I lean in in the prime of my career or do I step away and work for Mr. Irons? Freedom. For Esther, God's purpose for her life was defined by the decision, do I risk my, my, my life and all that I have to, 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 to take a chance to advocate for the nation of Israel? Or do I try to take the safe ride out? Whatever decision you're facing right now, that's, that's, that's at the apex of your defining moment. And God's purpose for you is embedded, Right? there. You get it? Right there. There's nothing mysterious. It's right in the decision that's staring you in the eyes. All right, let me see. Can I, can I just drive this home? There are, there are three defining moments in the first three chapters of Esther that are very instructive to us, and, and I just kind of want to move through them real quickly. Uh, just so that you can, so I can keep reinforcing this point that God's purpose for you is entailed in the decisions that are facing you in this moment. The first comes in chapter one, and, and it is really introduced to us in a surprising way by Queen Vestas. She is the queen and wife of King Xerxes. King Xerxes, uh, he's, he's the king of the Persian Empire, which is the, 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 the most powerful empire in the Western world. It's just defeated the Babylonians, and it is powerful. The king decides he wants to display and really kind of gloat about how powerful and what great accomplishments he has. So we find that uh, in verse 7, it talks about he, he initiates a celebration that lasts 180 days. He's partying for 180 days, guys. And then after he finished partying for 180 days, he's got all the folk. Uh, he takes another seven days and he throws a whole nother banquet from the least to the, for, to the, to the greatest are invited to that. And then... He, he, he comes to a moment, he says, well, wait a minute, I'm displaying all of my trophies and all of my power and all of my accomplishments. He said, wait a moment, I got a queen. I got a, I got a wife. I, her name is Vesta. The girl is fine. I think I want to display her before everybody uh, as a reflection on just how awesome I must be. And in verse 11 says, he said to somebody, he says, so bring Queen Vestas wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles because the girl 
was five. That's what the text says. You didn't see it in the text. That's what it said. Then, the next verse, we are shocked. Here's what it says. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vesta, Queen Vesta realized she was in a defining moment. Should she say yes? Maybe she had been saying yes to that uh, historically. Uh, or should she decide in this moment she was not going to be anybody's display? And look at what the text says. She refused to come. Rather than saying yes, she said no. And it was a resounding no that shook up the kingdom. It actually shook up the Western world because the Persian kingdom was right in the heart of the Western world. No, she says. And she refused. Now, here's what we've discovered. We have been shocked by a Me Too contemporary moment in an ancient context. She pushes back on the, on the guy and she says, I'm not your trophy. Come on now. And, 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 and as, as a result of that resounding no, she claims her purpose and her power. Now, just so you know I'm not making this up, go back to verse 9. You see, the, 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 from verse 1 down to verse 8, we were talking about the parties that the king was showing to, to solidify and celebrate his power. But in verse 9, it tells us that Queen Vesta, she, she threw her own party. She gave a banquet for all of the women and brought them to the royal palace. And just as the king was throwing a party to celebrate his power and to illustrate and celebrate his purpose, she threw a, come on, she threw a party to, to celebrate who she was in the world. She was, she was laying claim to her purpose and her power. She was stepping into the role as being the leader of the, of the, and, a, and a role model for the women across the kingdom. She, she was stepping into her responsibility of mentoring the women across the kingdom. She was claiming her sense of purpose and power and challenging them to do the same. And it was in that moment that the request came. The king wants to display your beauty before the world. And she says, not now, not today. No! Enough is enough. All right, here's the deal, guys and, and ladies, especially ladies. Could it be that God is talking to you? I, I suspect God's talking to some woman in some corporate context, in some family situation, and perhaps God is saying to you, you've been saying yes for too long. It's time for you. This is your defining moment. You need to say no. You need to say no in the organization or the corporation where you're being abused or taken advantage of. You need to say no, no more abuse. You need to say no in that relationship that you're in where you're a tool of manipulation or abuse. You need to say no, enough is enough. And let your no shake up that relationship, shake up the organization. Man, you didn't expect to find that in the text, did you? But that's what happens in defining moments. Well, what was the consequence? Here's the consequence. Now, usually consequences when we lean in. And the king decided to banish her, which means he fired her as queen. He divorced her as a wife and banished her from the kingdom. And yet, I don't know where she landed, but I know she landed in God's grace with her integrity intact. You say, well, how do you know this? Well, I know this because what the king could have done and probably uh, by law should have done was to call for her death. 
We learn this later on when Esther is, is contemplating her own plight that, that any uh, sign of disrespect at that magnitude called for death. But working behind the scenes was God's grace. And it is God's grace that shouts to you today and it shouts to me that, that, that sometimes we need to take a stand. What, male or female, we need, to, we need to be able to say a strategic no. And, and sometimes when you take a stand, God doesn't promise you won't lose your job because sometimes that comes with taking a stand. And God doesn't promise you won't lose your relationship because when you shift the dynamics in a relationship and decide not to be the abused, uh, sometimes it means losing the relationship. And it doesn't mean that you won't have a crash landing along the way because sometimes taking a stand and speaking up brings about crash landings. But here's what God promises you and promises me, that even if you have a crash landing, God promises because of his grace, you will survive the crash and your integrity will stay intact for the next season and he will elevate you to greater. Now, before I leave this point about the finding moments as it relates to the queen here, let me just say a word about King Exercis. It's a powerful insight here. Now, if you're reading this text along with me, you're seeing how he's acting and responding. I know there's somebody out there who says, man, he's a misogynist. He's a male chauvinist. He's, 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 he misuses his power. He's a bad dude. And yet, if you keep reading, and, and I, perhaps I agree with all that stuff, but if you keep reading, you'll discover that later on, this is the same king, after God opens up the king's heart through the influence of Esther, this is the same king that God is able to use to save the nation of Israel. You catch it? You see, I know that you may be convinced that there are some people in your life that are all good. That's a horrible mistake. Uh, in, in all of us, all who are good, there's some bad mixed in. And you don't need to be blinded to that. I, I suspect there's some people who you know in your life that you've concluded they're all bad. They're worthy of you writing them off. But I just want to remind you that in, in people who are full of bad, there's also some good there. The worst mistake you can make in the world is to look at yourself in the mirror and conclude that you're all good. That you're the all good one in your marriage. That you're the, you're the all good one. Come on now, in the siblings' relationship. You're, you're the all good one. You're, you never make a mistake. You're, that's a horrible mistake to make because you miss the areas in your life that needs to be transformed so you can go to the next level. The worst mistake you can make is to look in the mirror and conclude that you're all bad. That you're washed up. That you should be written off. That people should just forget about you. That you should stop trying to be what God has called you to be. That's a horrible mistake because in the worst person, there's some good mixed in. Come on now. And here is the insight that I want you to get. Uh, it's a profound insight as we watch exercises that no matter how bad you are or how low you've fallen or how many mistakes you've made across life, that anybody can be redeemed in the hand of God. Exercis was redeemed in the hand of God because his heart was opened by love. That's why God sends his son to die on Calvary's cross for your sins and my sins and to conquer death by rising 
to new life because if we can see that as an expression of God's love for us, that display of God's love should open our hearts to him and you and me. We can be transformed. You can be saved. We can be redeemed even in the midst of a pandemic. All right, let me hasten. And that's the first lesson about how to respond to the defining moment here. It comes with a cost, but God's got your back. Secondly, it's Esther is the teacher. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 opens up, the king kind of calms down, and then we're introduced, watch this, to a beauty pageant that leads to a royal coronation that has a stunning result. Here's the beauty pageant part. The king's advisor says, look, you got to replace Queen Vesta. So why don't you just throw, a, you know, a beauty competition, if you will, across the kingdom and, and sit in place commissioners and let them select the most beautiful women in the kingdom and bring them in. And you, you'll pick from them and figure out who's going to be the next queen. And ultimately, Esther is swept up in that experience. Now, here's a couple of things we know about Esther which is going to make her arrival in the royal court stunning. The first thing we know about Esther in verse 7, if you look at uh, <clears throat> in chapter 2, uh, verse 7, is that she's Jewish. She, she, she comes out of a family who uh, was brought into exile under the Babylonians and now has transitioned uh, under the oppressive power of the Persians. And so that means that her life is shaped by being on the wrong side of power. She's a part of a nation that's oppressed. The second thing we learn as we, as we read about Esther here is, is that her father and her mother died at a very early age and her cousin Mordecai ends up informally adopting her and raising her. And so that means that her life has been shaped and defined by enormous pain. I, I know some people now who have lost their parents due to COVID-19 and it is horrific pain. That kind of pain is at the center of her growing up as Mordecai is raising her. And what I find to be absolutely fascinating is this question. Given who she was, Jewish, at the bottom of the social rim, shaped by pain and oppression, where does she get the gumption to think that she should make herself available, that she might somehow become queen of Persia? Where does she get the gumption to go for it? Where does she get the gumption to take that chance? And I just believe that God was at work through Mordecai, who he used to adopt her. And I'm sure that she was standing in the shadows of her house somewhere. And Mordecai saying, you ought to go for it. And she said, no, you know, I'm, I, I'm not Persian. Women are the standard. And, and, I, and I'm a young Jewish woman of color. Come on now. And I don't meet that standard. And, and I can hear Mordecai say, you just do what you do and let God. God does what, let God do what God can do. Just give it a try. And somewhere she found enough faith to become gumption, audacity, and she made herself available. 
Then the favor of God kicks in, guys, and, and elevates her. That the eunuch that's in charge sees her and she stands out. The favor of God elevates her. She finds herself walking down the corridors of power. The favor of God causes her to be a standout. And when she meets the king in verse 17, here's what it says. He was so delighted with her that he, he immediately drops a royal crown on her head and declares, she's the new queen. Suddenly the improbable has become reality. Suddenly the one for whom all the odds were stacked against is sitting in the queen's seat. Oh, I say God is talking to somebody now. Somebody that's got to face the decision. Should I go for it or should I not? Should I make that application to that college that I'm not sure that I qualify for? Should I go for that promotion that I'm not sure that I've got the experience but there is something on the inside that says you ought to give it a shot. Should I talk to that young man or that woman who I don't even think I measure up to, God is saying, just, just do your part. Let me be God. Because whenever God is in the details and his hand is, his hand is on your life, don't you know the odds shift? Don't you know the odds shift in your favor? Don't you know you become the favorite? Don't you understand that if God is for you, who can be against you? If a thousand doors are locked, they all got to unlock when the God of the universe goes ahead of you. Go for it. That's what God is saying to somebody. Go for it. Go for it. This is your defining moment. And then lastly, these two ladies, they've been teaching us about the finding moments, these two queens. There's a guy that's got a lesson for us in chapter 3. His name is, of course, is Mordecai. And Mordecai, once she becomes queen, he, he gets a position there with the folk at the gate, the king's gate. The king promotes a guy by the name of Haman, and he gives Haman a lot of authority, and he tells the folk, he authorizes decrees, Essentially, the people are to treat, give him the respect that he gives the king. So when Hammond walks down by the gate, everybody bows down. Because one of the ways you treat the king, you kind of treat him like a deity. So they would bow down. Mordecai woke up in a defining moment. Should he bow down? Should he sacrifice his religion? Should he compromise his faith? So ultimately, the text tells us that, that at the end of the day, that, that uh, Mordecai refused to bow down. And in the next verse, there's a, the people are intervening. They say, man, you better do it. You better compromise. You better bow down. What's going on with you? Do you know that he can kill you? And, and repeatedly, Mordecai, uh, Mordecai refuses to bow down. This makes Hammond so upset that not only does he want to wipe out Mordecai, but he wants to wipe out the entire nation because at the end it is, it is Mordecai's Jewish faith that's causing him to respond without compromise in a defining moment. What about you? What about you? Are you compromising your faith to fit in? Are you compromising the dream that God has for your life just so that you can be a part of the popular crowd? What about you? Are you bowing down when you need to be standing up in high school, in college, or in your dating context? What about you? How are you handling your faith? 
in defining moments. Well, you know, I'm going to stop here. Make sure you get back here uh, next week. I'm going to tell you, at the bottom of every, at the bottom of every defining moment decision you have, there's really three things. Either you're being called upon to surrender your knack to try to control the outcome in the future, or you're being called upon to seek, to seek after God and what he has for your life. Are you being called upon to simply obey because as I talk to you today, God is speaking to your heart and you know exactly what he's calling you to do in this defining moment. Will you obey? Let's pray. God, I thank you. Many of us have taken the posture of being powerless in this defining moment. But great is he that is in us and he that is in the world. And you're saying to us that if we would dare surrender our lives to you and allow your destiny to overtake our dreams, that you will make us your instrument in this moment. Help us to say amen to that. Help us to agree to be willing to take the next step with you towards that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Guys, I love you. Can't wait to see you next week. Listen, there's a connection card that's attached on the web. It's also popped up in the, in the, uh, in the uh, Facebook chat. And look, there's some decision points there for you. This is the final moment for some of y'all right now. At the very top is an opportunity for you to commit to Jesus. Say, look, I want him to be Lord and Savior. I want him to shape the destiny of my life. There's some other choices there for you. Under response to the message, here's what I'm challenging you to check. There's a check box. Just check it. Just, the check simply says, God, I'm ready to take the next step. I've heard the, what the pastor said. Okay, I'm ready to take the next step. And taking the next step means that you show back here next weekend. Don't you miss the message, the conclusion of this next weekend. I can't wait. I'll see you then. God bless you. I am super excited about the messages that God has given me to share over the course of the next several weeks, but I need your help. Listen, there are tons of people in this moment that need to hear the message of hope and guidance that God has for them. And we need you to reach out, share the Facebook and website link. Next weekend, you're going to hear about a lady in Seoul, Korea that watches us every weekend. She shares the link to the message in worship gatherings. And now people across Seoul, Korea are engaging with us on a weekly basis. Will you join this effort to get the message of hope out? Secondly, I want you to reflect on this question. As you think about responding in this defining moment, which of these three areas do you find the greatest challenge? Is it in surrendering, seeking, are obeying. And lastly, we're going to do a virtual social hall immediately following this uh, moment. If I was in a physical building, I'd be in a social hall shaking hands and praying with people, etc., etc. We've just put a link up on the website and the Facebook uh, page. If you want to engage with me face to face, hey, take five seconds, fill out that registration, pop into the Zoom with me. We'll spend a little time together. See you soon.